Well, good morning, church. <laughs> I am honored to be here with you this morning, although it seems like we are here most Sunday mornings. <laughs> I'm actually pretty sure that Pastor Cindy gave us tithe envelopes. <laughs> so now I have tithe on- envelopes from you guys and from my home church. <laughs> That's right. That was so tithe. we are thrilled, though, to consider this our second almost primary home church, (laughs) and I'm honored to be here with you this morning. Andrew is right about one thing. He is a great son. (laughs) He's a great son. And we, his mother and I, are extremely proud of him, and we are also proud of our daughter-in-law, the new Dr. Simone. Yeah. Yeah. We have been blessed beyond measure. The best part, however, is that they have blessed us with two wonderful grandchildren. (laughs) And if you will permit me to take care of one personal item before I share with you, I promised my beautiful granddaughter who's up in the balcony this morning that I would say hi to her, and I have to fulfill that promise. (laughs) Hi, Sophia. Papa loves you. (laughs) It's true. She has me wrapped around her little finger already. (laughs) It's actually pitiful. (laughs) I'm not sure what the future holds, but I'm sure it involves money and and things. (laughs) So I'm going to be in trouble. But we are blessed. We actually have a magnet on our refrigerator at our house that says, grandkids welcome anytime, but parents by appointment only. (laughs) Those of you who have grandchildren understand that. Yeah, that's right. They're the joy of our lives. Well, let me start this morning by sharing a little story with you. Many years ago, some investors here in America had an intriguing idea about creating what they hoped would be a profitable silk industry. So they brought in a colony of moths, gypsy moths actually, anticipating that the male and female moths would mate and that they would develop this phenomenal, profitable silk business. They did multiply, but they did not produce the desired silk. Instead, the moths busied themselves eating up the trees in the forest. They gorged themselves eating the maple tree leaves, the oak tree leaves, and any other available trees, killing many of them and creating a deforestation problem uh, across the landscape, leaving dead trees everywhere. So scientists went to work, as they always do, of course, engaging in all kinds of research, hoping to find something that would take care of this problem. So they developed pesticides and other remedies, but not a one of those remedies or insecticides actually worked. So the moss continued eating their way through our forest having a great time. Finally, one of the more creative, and this is going to be creative, ingenious scientists came up with the unique idea of creating a synthetic compound that mimicked the smell the female moths used to attract mates. They enhanced that smell and made it so much more powerful that it could not compete with the females at all. And they infused that smell into small little tiny pellets they then placed in the trees. You can probably guess what happened next. 
Yes, the male moths were attracted to the superior smell of the pellets. And so even though thousands of female moths were flying all around saying, here I am, here I am, choose me, the males, with their brains now altered by the smell of the pellets, refused to engage with all the available females because they had a less alluring scent. The scent was not as powerful. Unknowingly, and this is a key point this morning, the males were being lied to. They refused to mate with the females, and since no new moths were being born, this led to their demise, and eventually to the decimation of the entire gypsy moth population, which is exactly what happened. While this is a true story, what I've actually been describing for you this morning is what happens when a loss of purity occurs in our lives. You see, we believe a lie, and brokenness takes root. And oftentimes, that brokenness becomes an addiction. In a situation like this, which is what happened to me, our brains become reformatted, rewired, if you will, to move from the normal function that God created to an altered state allowing us to do things that we would never have imagined that we would do. So the question is this morning, how does this thing, this brokenness, so often create a behavioral disorder or an addiction? Why do we seem so powerless over it? And why does it grow and so oftentimes consumes us? In my case, my brain was altered at a very young age by my mother who physically abused me on a regular basis. But worse than the blows I received across my face from her were the words of insult hurled against my young spirit at the age of seven. Words that seared into my young mind of having no value and of being unwanted and of being unloved. However, the worst wounding I received was not from the handprints left on my face or from the harsh words I still carry with me to this day, but the horrific experience of having to watch my sister, two years younger than me, be severely abused by both my parents. The fact that I could not help her and stop that abuse still haunts me to this day. And if you want to make me cry, ask me about that sometime, and I will cry instantly. One of the most terrifying things a young child can experience is an angry adult face, especially when that face is a primary caregiver. I remember that face. It's etched in my memory. So abuse is one of the primary ways that our brain is set up for addictions and behavioral disorders. Many times our destructive patterns solidify because of availability. And there are many ways that happens. One is alcohol in the house. You know the story. It's available. Your children access it. Prescription medications easily available in your medicine cabinets or from friends or from others. 
computers and cell phones with no blocking filters is a sure way to allow pornography to invade our minds and our homes. Saying that we are sure this is not happening in our house or with our children is exactly what the enemy is hoping that you will believe. The statistics back me up on that. Looking at me this morning, would you believe that I, had, that I would be capable of doing something like that? Probably not. In my case, not having loving parents drove me to seek affirmation and attention in the wrong places and with other unhealthy individuals. The problem is, you see, that a wounded and broken spirit cannot comprehend that nothing or no one can duplicate that lost love but God. We don't understand that in our addiction. The pain we have deep inside us desperately seeks to be satisfied and relentlessly drives us into high-risk behaviors for relief without considering the cost or consequences to ourselves or to our families. The motivating force behind these destructive behaviors is the lies that we believe about ourselves. The lies the enemy planted in my young mind of being worthless, of being unwanted, and of being unloved. That became the force that drove my unhealthy behaviors. To trick myself and to keep myself from hurting myself, I had to disassociate and take on an alternate persona to do things I never would have done in a normal state of mind. Out of that brokenness came overwhelming shame. You cannot imagine unless you've experienced it. And that shame became my new identity. So here's what happens. Shame is the primary weapon the enemy uses to keep us bound in our destructive behaviors. And if you are experiencing that this morning, you understand that. It's overwhelming and debilitating. Then, hiding the behavior fuels that shame. And that shame, in turn, continues unwanted behaviors, which creates what we call the addictive cycle. Once this addictive cycle is locked into place in our brains, the only possibility of change is when the pain we are experiencing is greater than the fear of the loss that might occur when we disclose. So we stay frozen in place because of that fear. The lie of losing everything, if we disclose, is the enemy's trick to keep us trapped and stuck, living out of our wounds. In my case, this lie kept me bound and living in my brokenness for years, and I almost did not escape. However, all this time, I was serving the church board. I taught Sunday school class. I sang on the worship team. 
and I was the building committee chairman for two major church building projects. I was a pillar of your church. I was also a good dad in all that. I supported my children in everything they were involved with. And I also ran a profitable business the whole time. Can you imagine that? I could have been your father. I could have been your brother. I could have been your coworker. I could have been your fellow worshiper because I was. And yes, I could have even been your pastor. You see, no one is immune. No one is immune. I remember on that dark, cold December night as I sat alone in my car, God granted grace to me that night and parted the forces of darkness that had come to take my life. He gave me a glimpse, just a sliver of light that in that moment I recognized as hope because I had no hope up to that point in time. I would like to tell you this morning that I was miraculously healed that night, and here I am today. (laughs) However, that is not my story. While God's touch and forgiveness was instantaneous, because God does do that for us, right? Healing from my brokenness and restoration of my marriage is still an ongoing basis. What has worked for me has been a multi-step approach that involves several major behavior modifications. There is no pathway out except these things, Jim. First of all, I had to develop a rock-solid relationship with God, and I had to use that as my foundation to build my recovery on, otherwise there is no recovery. To think otherwise is to only fool yourself. Number two, I had to connect daily with other safe people who were also on this same road that I was on and who understood my weaknesses. Number three, I have to daily take steps to do self-care, to do meditation and what's called mindfulness exercises so I can become aware of my emotional state because my emotional state was my trigger that drove me to bad behaviors. So I have to be constantly aware of my emotions and where I am in any moment in time and take measures if my emotions run high. Number four, I had to seek professional help to help understand what happened to me in my life and how to make sense of it for healing. I am not embarrassed to stand in front of you this morning and tell you that I still today see a counselor to help me with my thinking. I believe we all should seek trusted advice. Number five, to create an accountability of network of other men to keep me focused and on track. I need other men who know me and know my situation to speak into my life and to speak truth to me when I need to hear it because my thinking wasn't always correct, and I can't always trust my thinking even to this day. 
Number six, I had to explore and diffuse the lies that I believed about myself because each one of us have been wounded. Lastly, I have to continue seeking God desperately as if my life depends on it because in my case, it truly does. And I expect that it probably does for you as well, even if you don't know it. I want to thank you, church, and thank you, Pastor Andrew, for the privilege of letting me share with you that information this morning. Thank you very much. I followed that. <laughs> oh, my. Thank you, Dad. Thank you. Great job. As you can see, sexual immorality reaches everywhere. Everywhere. Men and women, children and adults. It reaches across sociological lines, economic lines, race and ethnicity lines, even across religious and spiritual lines. It is no respecter of persons, but will reach anywhere, anywhere, at any time. So what are some uh, keys, uh, ways to defend ourselves? Uh, Not only to defend ourselves, but have the victorious Christian life. Scripture gives us two ways, two ways. Number one, I commit to run from sexual sin. I commit to run from sexual sin. 1 Corinthians uh, 6.18 says, flee from sexual immorality. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. For whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Flee from sexual immorality. Scripture does not tell us to flee from other sins. Pride, jealousy, greed, um, uh, even anger. But it does tell us to flee from sexual immorality. I want you to think about this. If you kept a video all day long of everything you did and then showed it to your spouse, showed it to your fiance, showed it to your girlfriend or boyfriend, would they be pleased with what you saw? Would they be pleased with what you said? Pleased with what you did? Pleased with what you watched? Flee from sexual immorality. Run from sexual sin. And number two, if you're taking notes, run towards sexual purity. Run towards sexual purity. If, you, uh, if we try to be pure on our own, we will fall short. Every single time, we will fall short. The temptations, the lures, the enticements are all too numerous. We cannot live a clean life on our own. 
We cannot live a clean life from the outside in. We cannot live a clean life from the outside in. It has to come from the inside out. It has to come from a pure heart. Hebrews 12 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders in the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. It has to come from the inside out. It has to come from a pure heart. I don't know if you remember this, uh, Dad, uh, or not, but I remember it like was was uh, yesterday, <laughs> Easter Sunday evening, <laughs> 2002. I was a senior in high school, about to make the transition to Olivet. The night before, I had been on the phone with my girlfriend until about uh, four in the morning. <laughs> uh, and it got later and later. Unfortunately, my inhibition grew weaker and weaker. So we eventually made a rendezvous to meet up and do some things that were not in line with God's world. But we didn't make the rendezvous because it was a home phone with multiple lines and my dad was listening on the other line. <laughs> not good. <laughs> not good at all. <laughs> he flew out of his bedroom and had me hang up the phone immediately and then said, and I quote, we will deal with you tomorrow. <laughs> uh, all Easter Sunday long, I waited for the hammer to come down. I waited and I waited some more, but it didn't come down in the morning. It didn't come down in the evening. It didn't come down evening in the evening. As I got ready for bed to turn out the lights, believing I had a safe scot free, in walked my dad. I can tell he has been thinking about it all day long. He wasn't furious. He wasn't angry. He was just disappointed and sad. He said, your mom and I cannot limit you much longer. In the next few months, you will be going off to college, and our work in raising you will be just about done. You are a good son, the best we ever hoped for. You're smart, you're a hard worker, you are obedient. Last night was not like you. I didn't know the young man on the phone last night. For the sake of me, the sake of your mom, for the sake of yourself, don't go down this path. Don't go down this path. As he stood up to leave, he said, and I would never forget this as long as I live, he said, ask yourself, 
is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it worth it for you? Is it worth it to someday when you have a wife? Is it worth it someday when you have kids? Is it worth it to say, here's my mistakes. Here's my sin that I committed. It is worth it. And he closed the door behind him. I thought about it all night long. You see, there is no sexual desire, no sexual provoking that is worth compromising your honor, compromising your honor as a husband, compromising your honor as a wife, compromising your honor with your parents, compromising your honor with your children. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, now, the same, um, there are some of you here today that made a li- just taking a good look at yourself and hearing my dad's story, hearing my own story, said, I am in serious trouble. Those, uh, um, uh, those things that we just talked about, that's me. That's me. Maybe you're married now, but you messed around a little bit before marriage, and you are too ashamed to tell your spouse. Uh, maybe you are in the deep throes in an addiction to pornography, and there is no way out. Maybe it's an emotional bond. The girl at work, the guy who you have re- uh, reconnected with on Facebook, the neighbor up the street, You have been lying to yourself, lying to yourself, saying that you have it under control, but you know that you don't. Whatever it is, you say, I messed up. I messed up big time. I never thought it would be one more number. I never thought I would be one four figure, but here I am. If that's you, and you are um, uh, waiting down, and you are being honest this morning about your guilt and your shame and your condemnation, listen to this word of Scripture. Uh, listen to this word of Scripture, 2 Timothy 2, verse 13. If we are faithless, with we are faithless, God remains faithful. <laughs> for he cannot disown himself. If we are faithless, if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. Unfaithful in your walk with God. Unfaithful in the vows uh, that, uh, you, uh, to your spouse. Unfaithful in the commitment to forsake all others. He remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. We can be forgiven. God can forgive your infidelity. God can forgive your pornography. He can heal your wounds. He can heal your marriage if we were just turned toward him. God can do it. If we are faithless, God remains 
faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Everyone here uh, has bows and eyes closed. Uh, no one looking around. Right here, right now, the Spirit is speaking desperately to your hearts. And you've got three choices. Continue in your sin. Conceal your sin or confess your sins. Continue on the path of ruin. Try to cover it up uh, uh, just a little while longer, knowing full well that the guilt, the shame, the fear, the condemnation will wreck your life. Or confess and find forgiveness. What you conceal, he will reveal. And what you color up, he, uh, uh, what you confess, he covers up. This morning, your life is on the line. Your family is on the line. Your legacy is on the line. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around. This is a, a, just you and Jesus. You would say, I'm tired of concealing. It's time to come clean. The guilt, the shame, the fear of being caught, I cannot take it anymore. I want healing. I want freedom. I want forgiveness. If that's you this morning, if that's your prayer today, I, want, I, I, I am coming clean. I want freedom. I want help. I want forgiveness. If that's your prayer today, no one looking around. I don't care who you are. Sunday school teacher, small group leader, worship team member, lay person, or pastoral staff, board member, or first-time visitor, whoever, whoever, there is no condemnation, no fear, no guilt, no shame, just love, just peace, just joy. If that's your prayer today, would you just lift your hand up right now? Just lift them up right now. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. <laughs> Praise God. Anybody else? Anybody else? Praise God. Jesus, we're in your presence today. Come have your way in us. Set us free. Set us free from the guilt. Set us free from the shame. Set us free from the fear of being caught. I I'm coming clean. These uh, uh, persons in our congregation are coming clean, are coming clean today. Thank you. Thank you for the uh, um, uh, a few hands that were raised this morning. I know that there are uh, many more that didn't raise their hands. And I pray, Father God, I pray that you, 
they will feel your Holy Spirit. Feel your love for them. No guilt, no shame, no combination, just love, just joy, just peace. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. As we continue uh, to prayer today, I want to be, uh, speak specifically to those who are considering starting out are starting over in your relationship with Christ. And uh, um, uh, Don, can you uh, 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 play? Uh, it may be a sexual addiction that you have, uh, have you trapped. It may be an emotional uh, bond that has you ensnared. Maybe it's something else altogether. Regardless, you say, I'm stuck. I'm trapped. I don't know how I got like this. Progressively, systematically, uh, the enemy has weakened you, exhausted you, and you don't have enough strength to fight. But this morning, you've realized there is a God who still loves you. There is a God who still cares for you. There is a God who fights for you, fights your battles, fights your wars for you. Even if we are faithless, even if we are unfaithful, God remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. You say, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready to meet this kind of God. I'm ready to meet this kind of Savior. That's me. That's what I need. I'm tired of running. I'm tired of striving. I need forgiveness. I need a Savior. And that's you this morning. I believe it. I need His grace. I need new mercy. I need new life. That's me. If uh, that's you, uh, that's you this morning, just lift your hands up high right now. Right now. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Anyone else? <laughs> yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Everyone here, if you would, all over the sanctuary, everyone here praying with your neighbors, repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I need you. I need your grace. I need your mercy. Forgive me of my sins. Make me new. Jesus, you died so I can be forgiven. You rose so I can be set free. Fill me with your spirit so I can follow you. I'm never turning back. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. K1, can you celebrate with me new life in the kingdom today? Church, God is doing something unbelievable in this place, isn't he? And uh, the best part is, I don't have anything to do with it. <laughs> 
my dad doesn't have anything to do with it. It's all the Holy Spirit. It's all the Holy Spirit. If you raise your hand today, either starting out or starting over in your relationship with Christ, here's what I'd like for you to do. At the end of the service, there are two tables in the back specifically for those who are starting out or starting over in your relationship with Christ. The staff has two, uh, the staff has a gift for you on your journey with Jesus. Stop by one of these two tables and tell what the Lord is be, uh, doing through you. At the end of the service as well, I'm going to be in the prayer room just down the hall, second door on the uh, left, for those who would specifically like prayer. For those who would like prayer, meet me down the hall, second door on the left. There is a sign outside. You can't miss it. You can't miss it. Remember, um, uh, making that decision was not the finish line. It's the starting point. Your journey with Jesus, your journey to freedom has just begun. If that's you today, you lifted up a hand. We are so blessed to celebrate with you. Pastor Don, can you lead us in worship as we close?